when the tiny was printed in 1797. I think it's actually 1796. It was during the month of Kislev of uh, of uh, 5,557. 5557. So the month of Kislev, you know, January is usually in Tavis. So that's usually where the changeover is. So the Tanya was, was published in 1796. It was published, but it had two parts to it. It had the first part, which is 53 chapters, uh, which is called, in general, it's called the Kute Amorim, you know, a collection of sayings, uh, called the Sefer Shalbeninim, the Book of the Beninim. So that's 53 chapters with the introduction. And then there's the second part, which is called Shar Hayichud Vahayamuna, the gate of unity and faith. I guess that's the best way to, uh, to, uh, to translate that. The gate, the, the how do you say, the, the opening, the, the doorway, the doorway to uh, understanding God's unity and having faith, faith in God. Uh, what's interesting is that um, originally, Chassidim say that originally the Alter Rebbe planned on publishing the second part as the first part. So that the 12 chapters of Shari Yechud Vahamunah would be published in the beginning. And then would be 53 chapters of Sefer Shalbeninim of the, the book for the Beninim. Um, there's evidence to it in the introduction that we're going to be studying today. There's evidence to the fact that, um, that this was meant to be the first part of Tanya. But for whatever reason, which Alter Rebbe never really explained, um, Alter Rebbe changed it and put, you know, the the first the the, the Sefer Shalbeinim, the fifty-three chapters first, and then uh, the 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 part that discusses the God's unity. Um, but he did not change the expressions. He didn't ex he didn't change the language. He didn't update the language of the introduction. So we are not going to be studying the introduction to what was meant to be the first part of the Tanya, which ended up being the second part of Tanya, but the Alter Rebbe did not change the language. There's still, you know, insinuation that this is really the first part, um, which is an interesting discussion. You know, at the end of the day, the Alter Rebbe changed his mind. He decided that this is going to be second, but yet left um, ideas that, that, in other words, there's certain legitimacy to the original plan, that this should actually be the beginning of the discussion. And in fact, when it comes to studying Hasidus, many times the Rebbe would advise people to study this part first and then go to the 53 chapters. But we didn't do it that way. We, you know, there's, there's no one way of learning Tanya. You can either start from the beginning and continue, or you can start in the middle from the second part and then go to the first part. So uh, before we get to the introduction, I just want to give a general introduction to this entire part of learning Tanya. You see, in the 53 chapters, we're talking about serving God. Everyone can serve God. Everyone can have a relationship with God, etc. And on the different levels, you know, there's the relationship of the Benini, there's the relationship of the Tzaddik, there's the relationship of the one who is struggling to serve God, there's the relationship of those that have already achieved the highest levels and they're just, you know, sailing and, and you know, uh, enjoying, the, enjoying the ride and the experience. But we never ask the obvious question, the elephant in the room, and that is, what is God? What am I having a relationship with? What am I fearing? What am I loving? What is it? What is God? Right? Like the story I always say about Rabbi Friedman that uh, a teenager once told him, Rabbi, I don't believe in God. He said, what, what are you talking about? I don't believe in God. He says, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. He says, I don't believe in God. What didn't you understand? 
says, I don't believe in, I, I understand English, but what's God? So the teenager says, I don't know. Ah, so what don't you believe in exactly? Like, what, what are you talking about? Um, and, and this is a very serious problem. It's a very serious problem because um, when we have discussions about God, we have to realize how absurd such a discussion really is. We're a created being having a conversation about the creator. I know that famous uh, analogy. Uh, we, I think we spoke about it in the, the JLI course about, about death, life after death, about the two twins in utero that are having a conversation, right? Is there life after birth? What's going on outside? And one of them is basically saying that there's nothing outside and there's no mother, there's no nothing. You can't expect, you know, a fetus in utero to understand and appreciate, oh, we have, we have a customer, uh, to understand and appreciate um, the fact that there is something above it, the fact that there is something much greater than it, um, and that, uh, that, is, that completely defies all, uh, all of our, uh, our definitions of reality. To us, everything is about time and space. One of the most common questions you get about God, how old is God? Where is God? Can God lift a stone that, he, can God create a stone he can't lift? Come on, this is, <laughs> this is the level of conversation. What are we talking about, right? This is so silly. This is so oversimplistic. Have you ever heard four-year-olds talking about their parents' age? Yeah, I'm 75, did you know? <laughs> okay, my father is 150. I mean, these little kids, they're talking about, and we're looking at these little kids and we're, we're laughing, right? Um, and, and this is about them talking about us and what, what separates us from them a few years, right? They're going to be smarter than us one day, stronger than us, more successful than us, and everything. And yet when they're three, four years old, we listen to their conversations and we just can't help but laugh. How silly it is. So you can only imagine when, when, when there's a conversation about God, a, a discussion. Is there really a God? Let's prove there is or there isn't. A, what, what are you saying? The whole, in other words, in all the conversations that I've heard about God outside of Torah conversation, just the, the basis of the conversation is just completely flawed, not even from a Torah perspective, just from a logical perspective. From a logical perspective, the entire approach is completely out of whack. You're not, you're not talking about God. You're talking about a monster. You're talking about some type of superpower. You're talking about something you saw in a sci-fi movie. But like, what, what are you saying? This, this is not God. Um, and it's interesting that when we talk about Shavuos, which is tonight, so the anniversary of the giving of the Torah, 3,333 years ago. If you go through the actual, actual story of what happened there, the Jewish people didn't hear anything new. Right? From all the Ten Commandments, they knew all the Ten Commandments before that. Already. In fact, it's clear that um, if you want to talk about the religious obligations that come from the Ten Commandments, you know, Shabbos was already given to the Jewish people several weeks earlier. The midst of Kibbut Ava'im, honoring your parents, was given to them several weeks earlier. Most of the other commandments are already included in the seven Noahide laws. So when God, <laughs> big stuff going on there at Mount Sinai, there's thunder and lightning, and there's a whole to do, and we're celebrating it till today, and that's like the defining point we received the Torah, the Jewish people didn't hear anything new. Nothing was new. So what happened? If you go through the story, detail by detail, you basically see that the Jewish people on that day experienced something that humans never experienced beforehand and never experienced since. And that is, they saw God. They heard God. What does it mean they saw and heard God? They had an experience that day 
that it was so clear, with such brilliant clarity, that there is a God. The expressions in, 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 in the, the Talmud are like, they heard God's voice coming from all four directions. Usually when someone speaks to you, you hear it coming from somewhere, right? Ever played Marco Polo? Right? So you're able to find someone based on following their, their sound. When God spoke to them, there was no Marco Polo situation. You weren't able to, oh, God's from there, from here, from there. It was from all four directions, right? Um, and and uh, the Torah even says clearly, they, they saw God. What does that mean? They, God opened up the heavens and he opened up the earth and they saw that there was nothing other than God. Essentially, what was unique about the revelation was as they are starting their journey of, of, uh, of Judaism, which is essentially a relationship with God, God said, hi, hello, this is me. This is who you are going to have a, a relationship with. This is whom you are fearing. This is whom you are loving. I am here. Once the Jewish people have that clarity, at that point, now we can have a relationship with God. Now, that was only a temporary experience, right? After that, you know, life went back to normal to an extent, but that effect of that Sinai effect remains. So what's the deal? We, in, in order for us to have a proper relationship with God, we need to have the tools with which we can understand God. The first tool you need is a brain. That's it. Now, the brain that you are going to use to understand God is very limited. It's a created mind. It's the mind of a creature. And therefore, it will not fathom God in his entirety. In fact, it will only fathom a very, very little bit. But God wanted that our mortal brains should be able to understand him to a very large extent. I mean, in other words, that we should have the ability to be busy understanding him uh, for a very long time. Where do we get this information from? Where do we get the ground rules of how to deal with God? That we get from God. That we get from Torah. That itself is communicated to us through the Torah. And so if you want to have a real conversation about God, there's only one place you can go. That is Torah. If it's not coming from Torah sources, then you know it's just like little kids talking about their parents' age. It's just like people talking about medicine when they never opened up a medical book, etc. Right? So, uh, all right, without further ado, let's go into the introduction. So the Alter Rebbe also considers this, um, this section of the Tanya as just a compilation, a compilation of, of stuff, of teachings. Um, we're on page, oh, you're, you're at the beginning, very good. Um, called Chinuch Kata. Chinuch means education. Katan means a, a small child, young, education of the young. And we'll see soon uh, why the education of the child. Uh, the reason for that is because the Alter Rebbe, you know, starts off with the idea of education and applies that to um, to a relationship with God. Compiled from books and from sages, exalted saints whose souls are in Eden, based on the first section of the recitation of the Shema. So this again is compiled from books, which uh, according to tradition includes Maimonides, the Maharal, Prague, uh, who was actually a, a great-grandfather of the Alter Rebbe, ten generations up, and also from the Shalok. Shnei Luchas Abrisi was a great uh, Kabbalist and Halachist who lived uh, about 500 years ago. Uh, and then uh, the sages is uh, referring to the altar of his teachers, the Magid and the Baal Shemtu. King Solomon writes in Proverbs, educate the child according to his way. Even when he will be old, he will not depart from it. 
Since it is written according to his way, it is understood that it is not the path of perfect truth. Hence, of what merit is it that even when he will be old, he will not depart from it? Maimonides writes that when it comes to uh, teaching Torah to children, you have to teach them on their level. Give them candies, give them you know, nuts, um, tell them the basics, uh, talk to them about reward and punishment and things like that. And then as they grow older, you'll, they'll start to mature in their knowledge, they'll start to mature in, in their uh, appreciation for, for, for their studies. Um, and it's based off of this, this uh, verse from Proverbs. You should, when you educate a child, educate them on their level, not on your level, right? If you educate them on your level, then you're only going to cause trouble. But the, the verse continues and says, if you educate him on his level, even when he matures, even when he grows older, he will not depart from it, from his childhood education. What value is there to him remaining a child all of his life? You want him to mature. You want him to get to a point where he does not need to receive candies, rewards, and things like that for their studies. So what's this logical continuation that King Solomon says, if you will educate the child according to his way, he will not depart from this education even when he grows older. I'm going to turn this off. It is well known that fear, awe, and love are the roots and foundations of the service of God. Fear is the root and basis of refrain from evil, and love is the root and basis of do good, and the observance of all the positive commandments of the Torah and the rabbis, as will be explained in their proper place. Now, if you're if you've been to this class for a while, it's already been explained. In chapter four of the first of the first section, the Altar explains that love and fear of God are the root and foundation of mitzvahs, and he explains why, right? Because only one who truly loves God is going to be motivated to do the mitzvahs and do them properly. Only one who is truly in awe and fear of God will be motivated to refrain from doing that which God dislikes or prohibits, even if we really want to have it, right? So love and fear of God are the root and foundation of Torah and Mitzvah. That we already know from chapter 4 in Tanya. But again, this is, one of the, this is an evidence that this was actually meant to be at the very beginning. What's the difference between root and foundation? Can you think of a, just a, a logical difference? That the root goes into the ground and the foundation is coming. No, both are in the ground. Both roots and foundations are in the ground. So, so first of all, to, to bring them together is kind of wrong, right? Roots are for trees, foundations are for buildings, right? Both are in the ground. But roots are for trees and foundations are for buildings. Um, the point of the roots is not just the tree, but also the fruits that come from the tree or, or anything that's, that's growing there. So the root is the source from which the tree grows, from which the, the fruits grow as well. But you can cut off the fruit and still have the fruit without it being connected to the, to the root. Right? So the root caused it to come, but once you cut it off, once you chop down the tree and you have the wood, you don't need the root anymore. The word in my text is not foundation, it's, it's fundament. And mine says basis. Oh, they're all three different. Fundament. Good, but I think they all mean the same thing. Okay. Right? The I'm foundation sure. of a building is the basis of the building. Mm -hmm. Right. Fundament is another way of saying foundation. Okay. Um, 
the Hebrew, the Hebrew is. Uh, oh, you read the first sentence though. Is well known that fear and awe, love are the roots and foundations. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I was, oh, I was somewhere else. Okay. Oh, you were also somewhere else. I was else. also, yeah. yes, okay. sorry. In, in Hebrew, the, the idea is Sharshay Aveda Sashem, the roots of the service of God, the Yesoid Seho, and it's Yesoid, which basically means the foundation, like the foundation of the building. The Yesoid, the, 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 the foundation of the building. Mm -hmm. So both roots and foundations are in the ground. You don't see them. But roots, even though that's where the actual you know, fruit comes from, but if you cut it off, you still have it. A foundation. And you build a building on a foundation, you can't just take the building off of the foundation and expect it to, to continue to function. It's just not going to do that. How do you know it's referring to a building? Is that Yisod? That means that? Yisod, yeah. The Yisod of a building. So what's the idea here? When it comes to the love and awe of God, they're not just motivators. They're not just the official root for a mitzvah. You know, if I loved God yesterday, so now I'm motivated, and for the next 10 years, I'll, I'll be doing mitzvahs. It's, it's the root, but also it's also the foundation of every mitzvah. When a person is motivated to do a mitzvah, if they are currently loving God, they're going to do the mitzvah properly. They're going to do it with passion. They're going to do it in, in a way that behooves the, 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 the person doing a mitzvah. So, um, so that's what the Altar Rebbe says, that in general, this concept of love and fear of God, Getting to the bottom of it, getting a handle on this thing is very important because if you, if you just want to do mitzvahs, well, that's great. But if you're not going to have love and fear of God, and if it's not going to be constantly nurtured and developed, and if it's not going to be a lifelong ambition of yours to keep this going, you're going to have a very hard time learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. Um, it would essentially be like uh, you know trying to have a building without a foundation. What happens to such a building? It falls apart at one point. It could survive a little bit, but it's just not going to... It's not, it's not going to continue for much longer. Uh, the commandment of educating a child includes also training in the performance of the positive precepts as is stated in Arachayim section 343. Here the al makes a very interesting point uh, which is relevant to this entire conversation. It says like this, when it comes to mitzvahs, you have two types of mitzvahs. You have real adult mitzvahs, right? Someone's already, you know, bar mitzvah boy, 13, bat mitzvah girl at 12. So when they do a mitzvah, it's like for real, like it really counts. Uh, what about a child? You know, a nine-year-old boy does a mitzvah, says a prayer, says a blessing before, you know, eats matzah on Pesach. Is that a mitzvah? The answer is yes, it is a mitzvah, but it's not on the same level as the mitzvah of an adult. The mitzvah of an adult of eating matzah on the night of the 15th of Nisan of, you know, by the Seder. So that's like big, mature mitzvah. A 10-year-old boy eating a matzah on the night of the Seder, that's small mitzvah. That's education mitzvah. However, that itself is a mitzvah. It's on a lower level, so to speak. It's not, it's not the major leagues. It's the, you know, the AAA or whatever. But, um, but, it, but it is a mitzvah in and of its own. If that's the case with regard to mitzvahs, the same is true with regard to love and fear of God. In love and fear of God, there is big boy mature love, and there is childish education love. So just like in mitzvahs, there's the real deal, and there's the education part, so too in love and fear of God, there's the real deal and the education part. All right, so how does this all blend together? How does this work? Concerning the love of God, it is written in the end of the portion Ekev, which is the third, the third parsha of the book of uh, Deuteronomy. 
So the Torah, so Moses is telling the Jewish people in, in the name of God, he says like this, which I command you to do it, to love God. It is necessary to understand how an expression of doing can be applied to love, which is in the heart. Really, you should say, I'm, I'm commanding you to feel it. You should feel a love for God. Here he says, do a love for God. La'asota, mm-hmm. to do it. What are, you, what are you supposed to do? How does your heart do stuff? Or how do you do things with your heart? The hand feeds the heart, as we say. So what is the so what is the commandment? Is the oh. command in other words, he's telling us what am I commanding you to do? I'm commanding you to love God. Mm. Command me to feel a love for God, not to do a love for God. Mm. In fact, the, the, the altar of his teacher, the Magid, he said a little bit differently. Right away in the Shema, right? After we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem the statement of our faith in God, then it says, Hashem and you shall love the Lord your God. How can you command someone to love someone? Or something. Love is a feeling. Either you love him or you don't. But that's how we show it in Judaism. How, how can you command a feeling? That's essentially mm-hmm. the question. Okay. Either they feel it or they don't. Right? As Western uh, society said, fell in love. You fall in love, right? Either you love or you don't love. Mm-hmm. Well, it's sort of like that saying we say we're fake until you make it. <laughs> okay. Possibly. But is fake love love? Yeah. But if you do it enough, so that's not love. Then he then he should say, "Fake it till you make it." He's commanding us to love, right? And here in Parshas Ekev, which is you know chapters later, he says, "What am I commanding you to do? Love God. You don't. Love is not something you do. Love is something you feel." So that's a result of the love. That's not the love. The love, as we said right over here, is the foundation and the root of mitzvahs. Right? So I can command a person to eat matzah on the 15th of, of Pesach. I can command men to wear tefillin. I can command women to light Shabbos candles. Yeah, you can. And I can tell them, by the way, a good, you know, a, a good idea would be uh, love God in order to do the mitzvahs. But either they love or they don't. How can you command someone to love? And how can love be something that is done? Love is something that's felt. Mm-hmm. Like love, it's like a part of an action. So if you do the action, if you think about it, so you bring it to, to love. If you realize... Oh, very good. Yeah, that, that, that's essentially where we're going. Like where we're we going in that direction. Like we take care of our family. Okay. So usually, so, so you're saying it's kind of like this, this cycle. You love, so you take care of the family. When you take care of the family, you love more. Like that, that constantly nurtures itself, right? But here we're kind of before that cycle. In other words, how are we telling, what's the, what's the intro into the cycle? Doing, doing love, like doing, making it happen, make that love happen. And that's going to be the foundation and the basis, the root for the mitzvahs that you're going to do. Yeah, once you're in the cycle, it can constantly feed itself. But it seems like getting into that cycle is something that is done. It's not something that you fall into. It's not something that just you're born with. Well, I was just thinking, so maybe before you love the Lord your God, you have to learn, you have to meet him. Meeting okay. And say, wow, the sun comes out, I'm healthy, 
And when I'm not healthy, I get bitter. It's a miracle. Where does it come from? Boy, it must be a God, and I need to meet him. I need to meet him. And if I love you, it is, I'm falling in love with you because of all you do for me. Okay, yep, you're, you're definitely on the right direction. Definitely the right direction. In other words, what you're saying is that the command is not to feel something. The command is to engage in thoughts, meditations, studies that will bring you to this realization. But let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. How, how about this? We'll, we'll, just, we'll go with the text and we'll see where this leads us. Um, the explanation, however, Yes, we're in that bottom paragraph on the left side. The explanation, however, is that there are two kinds of love of God. One is the natural yearning of a soul to its creator. This is like a natural thing, automatic. So why don't we all feel it? If we all have it naturally, so why don't we all just love God? When the rational soul prevails over the grossness of the body, subdues and subjugates it, then the love of God will flare and blaze with a flame which ascends of its own accord and will rejoice and exult in God its maker and will delight in him with wondrous bliss. Ever experienced that? I haven't. I'll tell you why. Those who merit this state of Ahavarabha, great love, are the ones who are called Sadikim. As it is written, rejoice in God, yea, Sadikim. Yet not everyone is privileged to attain this state. Because as we mentioned, even though it's a natural state of the soul, the prerequisite for that is that the rational soul must prevail over the body, subdue and subjugate it. That's a high order. <laughs> to prevail, subdue and subjugate the body. When we talk about the grossness, grossness of the body, we're not talking about immoral, unethical, you know. No, we're just talking about the, the desire to have a coffee. Right? right now, I'm not even prevailing over my body. I've got a coffee in front of me, right? If anyone has, has a thought for breakfast, you're off the charts, man. You're, your body is in control, right? So, so we're talking here about a person who's already, huh? I'm in trouble. You're in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> but you're not in trouble you're just like everyone else you're not yeah, a tzaddikah okay. right and and after the 53 chapters of the book of the Bedini, i mean you're like oh, i'm an actually excellent company you know yeah. <laughs> from the 8 billion people on earth 7 point something billion uh, almost all of them besides like three or two you know are, are in the level of of not tzaddikah Yet not everyone is privileged to attain this state for it requires a very great refinement of one's physical grossness and in addition, a great deal of Torah and good deeds in order to merit a lofty neshama, which is above the level of ruach and nefesh, as explained in Reish's Chachma Shar Ha'ava. So the first level of love that we mentioned, natural love. It kind of falls into that category of I fell in love. I, my, I, I just love. You can't, you can't stop it, right? That's this natural love. The reason why we don't feel it is because We've got this body. Body's a big problem. The body just doesn't allow this love to be expressed. It could be prevailed upon. It could be subjugated. The soul could take control. It, it, could, it could happen. But to get there is a long road. And most people don't merit it. It's a gift. I'll say later, it's actually a gift. Yeah. Yet on the other side, we need that body. The 
to be the mitzvah. Of course, right. No, no, no one's suggesting the tzaddik doesn't get rid of the body, right? Mm -hmm. Getting rid of the body is not an option. You have to kind of prevail and overcome the body. So you have to keep that body. You have to be in control of that body. And, and like in a very, very big deal. So, okay, this is the natural love. This is big, mature love. This is adult love. All right, so I guess we're not, we're not adults yet, right? We're still, we're still in education phase. So what's the second? The second is a love which every man can attain. So this is relevant to everybody. Everyone can, can reach what we're going to be discussing. When he will engage in profound contemplation in the depths of his heart on matters that arouse the love of God, which is in the heart of every Jew. So everyone has an affinity to God. Everyone has this liking for God, etc. But you have, you have to think about things in order, in order to, uh, to do it. You know, I mean, children always tell their parents, I hate you, right? You've ever heard that from your kid? I've heard it from my kids. I hate you. I, they don't even know what they're saying. I hate you. Why? Uh, you made me get out of bed. You made me do this. Whatever. Yeah. But then like after a few minutes when they realize or when you tell them, but I just made you breakfast and have clothing and we're going to school now. It's a, things change, right? Obviously, they never really hate it, right? They really love their parents anyway. So um, so you have, so what do you need to do? You have to think about things that will bring this awareness to the forefront. And, on, and then you're going you're gonna to start to love God. You're going to awaken this, this love that you have within you. So now in this um, meditation, in this study, there are, all, there are two approaches. There's a general approach. Be it in a general way. What's the general contemplation that one can have? That he, God, is our very life. And just as one loves his soul and his life, so he will love God when he will meditate and reflect in his heart that God is his true soul and actual life. As the Zohar comments on the verse, you are my soul, I desire you. Everyone loves life. In fact, everyone wants to live. There's no difference between people in that innate desire to live. Everyone wants to live. Whether someone has a penthouse or someone is homeless, they, they want to live. In fact, if someone wants to die, there's a problem, right? You call the police, you call who knows what, yeah, it's, it's a big issue. So wanting to live is the same by everyone. If we would become aware of the fact that God is our life, God is the source of life, we'll want him. Everyone's going to want him in the same way. Why? Because life is the same for everyone. That desire for life is the same. That's a very general contemplation. But then there's a more particular contemplation or in a particular way. When he will understand and comprehend the greatness of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, in detail, to the extent that his intellect can grasp and even beyond. What, what does it mean beyond your intellect? I mean, if it's beyond your intellect, so how can you understand that? It seems here he says, uh, to, um, when, when a person will understand and comprehend to the extent of his in, intellect and even beyond the grasp of the extent of his, of his intellect. So here's the deal. You know, you ever heard the expression, the more I learn, the more I don't know? But then, but then there's more, more than that. There's two ways to learn. One way is to learn about something. Another way is to learn by the process of elimination of knowing what you don't, of, of what it's not. 
sometimes there's something that is beyond specific definition. I can't give it a definition, but I know that it's not this, not this, not this, not this. So I'm getting closer, but I'm not really that close because I'll never be able to actually, you know, nail it down to figure out what exactly this is. So when it comes to, um, in general, when it comes to understanding God, we have to always be ready for these two parallel approaches. We're going to learn stuff and then we're going to learn not stuff. We're going to learn what it's not. It's going to be a, like a process of elimination. God is not this. God is not that. It's like you say, you know, God is not defined by time, not defined by place. So what is he defined by? I don't know. It's not time and not place. Okay, so we've taken him out of a certain box. We don't know which box he actually belongs in. That's also part of understanding God. It's also part of uh, an intellectual and intelligent uh, process. I think we've seen a few examples in our studies of this meta process. Maybe there, I'm not sure, maybe the several of them have all been examples of metacognition, so process of, elim so you have metacognition and process of elimination is one. Uh, parallelism, I think, was another one we did, was another one. Macrocosm would be another one as opposed to microcosm. Yep. They seem to fit into this category of quote, to the extent that his intellect can grasp and even beyond. That makes sense to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. That yep. seems really clearly stated. Look how long it took us to, des to describe it. And the author stated it in three words, That's and it. even beyond. Even how beyond. clear. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what's the idea here? that when it comes to understanding God, we should realize that not understanding is also a legitimate um, destination. Mm -hmm. Never get worried, oh, I don't understand. Exactly. No, I, was, I was in a yeshiva, I was teaching a class on Hasidus. It wasn't Tanya, it was a different you know, uh, text. And there was, a, there was one of the boys there, you know, good boy, just, you know, not always up at 7.30 in the morning for that class. So um, anyway, there was one time we were, having a, we were reading a certain page and he was getting all involved back and forth, back and forth. At one point, he slams the book shut. This doesn't make any sense. I said, exactly. That, you got it. Very good. <laughs> so it wasn't meant to make sense. You were meant to realize how this is beyond. I mean, till today, I can't remember this. This doesn't make any sense. Welcome. Exactly. Rabbi, can I read the next short paragraph? Because sure. it really okay. speaks to what you said. These two phrases refer respectively to concepts that are within the reach of, quote, positive knowledge and to truths that lie beyond it and are perceptible only through, quote, negative knowledge. That is, one may not understand such a thing itself. He may understand how it is not subject to the restrictions of a lesser order. One more. Do you have the same commentary? No, no. It's, okay. it's good. That's, that's Read it. In terms of comprehending godliness, notice the same application. This means to say that one will at least understand that those levels of godliness that are beyond the range of his intellect are not subject to the limitations inherent within 
created and eminent worlds and beings. This negative knowledge in the Alter Rebbe's words, even beyond, is also considered to be a quasi state of comprehension. So quasi is one of those categories. Exactly. Oh, exactly. that's so beautiful. And this that is, makes, this that is makes so the... much sense. Yep. Oh. And this is from 1796. Oh. So worth the drive in. There you go. There you go. We'll see you every Sunday, so every Sunday morning. <laughs> wow. So what happens? What happen, what's, the, what's the idea of contemplating God's greatness? Why is it not enough for me to just say, oh, God's my life. That's it. I want to live. Here's the deal. In chapter 47 of, uh, of the first section, so we're discussing the idea of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. And uh, the Altar Rebbe explained that even though that happened, you know, 3,333 years ago, and God took slaves out of Egypt, etc. said, so let's think about this, analyze this for a moment, right? What, what were we? We were in Egypt, in the depths of, of impurity, of, 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 the, of the, you know, the bottomless pit of, of, um, of, of Egyptian mud and muck and all of that. And God, this great God comes and schleps us out and makes us his nation, brings us to Sinai, gives us the Torah. And what's the analogy? Let's say there's this guy who was in the gutter, dirty, smells, Worthless, a low life. And the king, the highest ranking king comes. No, not the king of Montenegro. The king of the United States of America. You know, it's not, I'm not talking about some king from some uh, Caribbean island. You know, a real powerful king is walking by and notices this guy in the gutter. And he goes himself. He goes down, schleps him out, brings him into the palace, washes him off. And he puts him into the height of power and, and everything, right? So obviously... The simpleton was just dragged out of the gutter. Is obviously going to love this king so much. The greater the king, the greater the 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 superior uh, that that took that inferior person out of the mud. The greater they they are, the greater the love, the reciprocal love will be. If it was just another yukul coming out and schlepped him out, okay, thank you very much, etc. But like, this guy has a lot of things in his mind, you know, he's, he's, he's taking care of the entire world. And, and what does he care about? Me, me, little me, me, dirty me. So that as the greater the king is, the more the reciprocal love will be. Now, by the way, if the guy in the gutter didn't know that this is a king, didn't know that this is the palace, etc., he won't have a proper frame of reference, right? So if we tell you that when we were in Egypt, in the lowest depths of impurity, God, the king of all kings himself. As in, the, in the Haggadah, we say it wasn't through an angel, not through a spirit, not through anything. It was God himself that came and took us out of Egypt. So the more we understand God, the more it's, whoa, this is awesome stuff, right? And he, and he pulled us out of Egypt. So now that reciprocal love is even greater. The more you understand God, the more you love God. Why? Because the more you understand God, the greater God is the greater the amazingness, the awesomeness of this great God coming and schlepping us out of Egypt is, is much more appreciated. Now that, understanding and appreciating the greatness of God or understanding and appreciating the greatness of the king, everyone's different in that. Everyone is different in their level of comprehension. Life, everyone's the same. Everyone wants to live the same. 
appreciating the greatness of your savior, of the one who schlepped you out of the mud. No, that everyone's, everyone's on a different level. So that's called the more particular meditation, right? He says, uh, or in a particular way, and that everyone is, is different. Um, so that, um, let's continue here. Or in a particular way, when he will understand and comprehend the greatness of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he in detail, to the extent that his intellect can grasp and even beyond, then he will contemplate God's great and wondrous love to us to descend to Egypt, the obscenity of the earth. I love that expression. To bring our souls out of the iron crucible, which is the sitra achara, may the all-merciful spare us, to bring us close to him and to bind us to his very name. And he and his name are one. That is to say, he elevated us from the nadir of degradation and defilement to the acme of holiness and to his infinite greatness, may he be blessed. When you have this understanding, this appreciation, then as in water, face reflects face, right? Water is like an, a mirror image. You look into the water, so the face you know, looks back at you. So love will be aroused. So why did God come and pull us out of this low place? Because he loves us. So now love will be aroused in the heart of everyone who contemplates and meditates upon this matter in the depths of his heart. To love God with an intense love and to cleave unto him heart and soul, as was explained at length in its place. Right? Chapter 46 and 47. Um, in Tanya. Here they said, as was explained. Actually, it really should be translated as will be explained. As will be explained. So they actually made a mistake in this translation. Just pointing it out. This translation isn't necessarily holy. It's, you know, it's a translation. Where's the, where's the mistake, please? The mistake in this book is um, to love uh, as was explained at length in its place. It shouldn't be as was explained. It should be as will be explained. And mine says that. Yours well. says that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they updated that Thank translation. Thank you, what you're saying. That maybe this was supposed to be written before. And that's yeah, that, it's mm -hmm. part of the evidence. It's mm -hmm. the evidence that this was meant to be before. Um, it is this love. We'll continue another few minutes. It is this, so, so this is a love that could be made. This is a love that could be achieved. It could be done. Why? It's up to you to think about it, to meditate upon it, to understand it. And once you, you can, you can make this love happen. This is not a love that you fall into. It's not a natural love. It all depends on your understanding. It is this love which Moses, our teacher, peace unto him, wished to implant in the heart of every Jew. Um, and this, this comes in, in that same, in that same Parsha in the section, it says like this, and now Israel, um, okay. So actually it would be better if we had the actual Chumash in front of us, but it's very fascinating in that Parsha, Moses is giving the Jewish people like a very intense pep talk. He says, Israel, what does God want from you already? Just to love him. And he goes on to this whole thing. He says, um, behold, I'm sorry. Yeah. Behold, the heavens belong to God, your Lord, right? So God has everything. He has this whole world and the heavens are spiritual worlds. Only in your fathers did he delight. Because despite the fact that God is everything, God specifically zeroed in on the Jewish people. And then uh, he says, 
let's skip this one. And then with 70 souls, he goes and describes, he says, you went down to Egypt with 70 souls. About 200 years later, you came out as a multitude, right? Millions of people came out. Um, you shall circumcise, he says, you shall circumcise your heart. Um, what what, what the, the idea over there is that the heart also has like this, this, um, this, this stoppage that, that, yeah, like a stubbornness that doesn't allow it to open up to the, to the service of God and to the love of God. So circumcise it, get rid of that, that blockage that's not allowing the heart to be fully expressed in its love of God. He says, therefore you shall love. In other words, and, and, and hence he concluded his words concerning this love, which I command you to do it, which is love that is produced in the heart through the understanding and knowledge of matters which inspire love. And this he had commanded previously in the verse, and these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, so that through this meditation you will come to love God as is stated in the Sifri on this verse. Okay, thus there can be applied to this second type of love, as the love that is developed, that comes as a result of meditation, an expression of charge and command. Namely, what is the command to devote one's heart and mind to matters which stimulate love? However, an expression of command and charge is not at all applicable to the first kind of love, which is a flame that ascends on its own accord. Okay, so that first love that we said, it's a natural love that as long as you get rid of the, the, the grossness of the body and you prevail upon it and subjugate it, it's just going to be expressed. So that, uh, that's not something that you could actually do. And Alter continues and says, furthermore, the Torah does not command you about it. The Torah doesn't even discuss this type of love because this love is actually a gift. It's a reward. The Torah does not talk about reward. The Torah talks about our obligations, our obligations to God. It doesn't talk about the spiritual reward that we get from it. In fact, the Torah doesn't mention a word about Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, about, about paradise, afterlife. That's why there's precious little about afterlife in the Torah. There's almost nothing there. I don't think it even says anything about afterlife in the Torah. Have you found anything in the Torah about afterlife? Because the Torah is all about life here on earth when we have to serve God. Our obligations. Furthermore, it is the reward of the tzaddikim. This first type of love, that natural love, is a reward. The savor of the, night, the nature of the world to come in this world. It's possible that a tzaddik, while he's still alive in this world, to have a taste of what's going on in the next world, in the afterlife. That is the meaning of the word, uh, that is the meaning of the verse, I will give you the priesthood as a service of gift, as will be explained in its proper place. Just like you can't become a coin, you can't achieve the level of coin. It's a gift that has to be given to you by God. Um, and it was given to a specific family, and that's it. No one could become a Kayin. Same thing here. This type of natural love is a gift from God. It's not something that you can necessarily achieve on your own accord. So what is the type of love that one is meant to work to towards, that one is commanded to do, that one is commanded to achieve? That's the love that comes as a result of contemplation. The extent of what your mind can grasp and beyond. Right, the positive knowledge and the negative knowledge, um, etc. Uh, we'll stop. We'll stop here in the text. Uh, we don't have more time. The, the, the next part is actually very interesting as well. Just think everything in Tanya, but the point that, that we'll conclude with today is um, that that when the Alter Rebbe wants to lead us on a journey of love and fear of God, we first need to define what type of love and fear are we talking about. 
and what we're defining is that it's not just love that's an automatic feeling it's not a natural expression we're talking about the love that comes as a result of meditation and this is something that everyone can be obligated to do everyone can be charged with the with the mandate to set their minds um, to focus on these ideas and as a result develop a love for God um, I mean, it's interesting that uh, you know the, the Tanya is split up to be studied every day, and today, the fifth of Sivan, we just we just read the the portion for today's uh, for today's learning. Yeah, it started by "It is this love which Moses, our teacher, until as will be explained in its proper place." So it was yesterday's and today's that we studied today. So I think it's it's very providential that we're starting this this. Uh, portion of the Tanya specifically today. So uh, there you have it. Thank you.